Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. We've got heaps and heaps going on on this week in cricket as usual. We've got to cover the New Zealand-Pakistan series that never was, the T20 Blast Final, Virat Kohli stepping down as T20 captain of India and the RCB, and a whole heap more. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Breaking into the podcast feed, it's me and Baldy. We recorded our podcast this week in cricket on Monday night, New Zealand time, the 20th of September. It's now Tuesday, the 21st of September. And some breaking news overnight that England have withdrawn from their October tours to Pakistan, um, both women's and men's tours affected. Um, But very interestingly, not talking about um, threats of terrorism or any specifics around that, um, more citing um, the player welfare component. Um, as that was breaking, also um, news story broken on Crick Info by George DeBell just a couple of hours ago that the third ODI of the series between England and New Zealand uh, women in Leicester um, was under threat. Um, with um, a bomb being um, threatened to have been placed within the team hotel. It's later um, been deemed that that, cr- that threat not credible um, and the game will go ahead. Um, but Baldy, yeah, worrying really all round from a, from a cricketing perspective that, you know, this kind of stuff's happening in, uh, uh, in our beautiful game. Yeah, absolutely concerning on both fronts. Let's let's talk about the England-Pakistan series first. Both the men's and women's tours for England's players to Pakistan have now been cancelled for their October trip. The ECB releasing a statement Monday afternoon confirming that its board had, and I quote, reluctantly decided to withdraw both teams from the October trip. And they, they cited... Uh, Again, I'm quoting from Crick Info's article here, increasing concerns about travelling to the region and further pressure to a playing group who have already coped with a long period of operating in restricted COVID environments. So nothing in the ECB statement around uh, security or concerns around security, but this is citing uh, sort of general concerns about travel to that area of the world and also kind of that pressure on the playing group to deal with kind of multiple COVID environments. In all of this, we probably shouldn't forget that it was Pakistan that first toured England to bring um, cricket back into our living rooms and back onto our television screens uh, in last year's series in England. So um, unfortunately, at this point, England not able to reciprocate uh, that arrangement just yet. I'm sure it will come at some point. Uh, but understandably, now Pakistan officials are, are pretty irate that um, the, even despite not mentioning the security piece, England have chosen to um, to not tour Pakistan uh, this time around and have cited both the, the sort of general travel concern, which ha- probably has a security element to it, and also the sort of COVID bubble fatigue piece, which we've seen coming for some time. Yeah, for, for me, obviously just really disappointing for the game, first and foremost. I think a couple of really pertinent points, though. This tour to Pakistan by the England men's and women's teams was tacked onto the schedule. And, and look, I guess I don't think anyone will say this out loud, but it was probably done as a little bit of a deal um, with Pakistan coming um, to the UK, as you mentioned, last summer and, and sort of operating in those uh, Southampton Rose Bowl and Old Trafford um, bubble secure bubble environments to get test um, and ODI cricket um, on um, and then obviously um, this summer as well but I think um, 
they have sort of maintained the ongoing commitment to the tour that was scheduled there for 2022 um, and then really wanting to uh, fulfill that. I guess we don't know all of the ramifications here, but it seems to me that the decision's been made on the basis that with not only COVID, but also these potential threats, um, the preparation for the men's ICC T20 World Cup um, could have been massively affected if there'd have been any um, yeah, any issues on this tour. And I, I guess they sort of weighed up the benefit of practicing in those conditions uh, with their side playing some, you know, some meaningful cricket um, versus uh, preparation in the nets and, and perhaps, um, yeah, a little bit of a, a longer build-up necessary now for them to get used to those conditions in the UAE for the World Cup um, being more beneficial than the, the uncertainty of touring Pakistan um, so close to that tournament. Mm. Um, it, it, the interesting thing for me, though, is the, the way that the boards have sort of communicated this. I think both the New Zealand um, and English cricket boards have been relatively um, diplomatic. Um, Wasim Khan, we, we mentioned on the podcast last night, really, really diplomatic around um, just really wanting a bit more understanding of all of the pieces of the puzzle that went into that decision-making process for New Zealand to cancel their tour. But then it doesn't help when the newly appointed um, chairman of the Pakistan Cricket Board, Ramiz Raja, is look taken to Twitter with, you know, 140 characters of um, what, what I can only sort of look at. It looks at like the kind of tweet that Donald Trump would have written. Um, you know, it's just, uh, um, yeah, sort of re- real heart um, on the sleeve, um, 140 characters. And, and look, I don't think really becoming of someone in that position. But yeah, um, I, I'm probably a little bit emotional about it because it's attacking my cricket board. Well, I think I think the emotions are running high in in Pakistan cricket because the ramifications, both financially and for their ability to to host cricket successfully, in, you know, international cricket, um, is now really up in the air. And unfortunately, the financial implications for Pakistan uh, are are massive because these are two tours that may now impact West Indies going to Pakistan and potentially Australia going to Pakistan as well. So. We can certainly understand the emotional state that their that their executive are in. Um, Ramiz Raja seems like a guy who's wearing his heart on his sleeve. He said some some pretty he's put out some pretty forthright views. Um, you know he's 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 gone on a bit of an attack again this morning around um, his perception that Australia, New Zealand, England have formed a, a block um, and. You know they are acting in concert and, and and against the interest of Pakistan cricket. We have no evidence to suggest that's that's the case, of course, but that's his perspective on it. Um, I'm just reading this Crick Info article here that's sort of broken in the last 15 or 20 minutes or so. There's talk of potentially seeking compensation uh, for losses relating to the abandonment of the tour. So there's lots and lots to play out over the next few days. And, of course, the World Cup coming up. Um, Ramis Raja has said that his players will do the talking on the field and he's called on them to, to beat you know England, Australia, etc., New Zealand in that tournament to show that Pakistan are successful on the field. I don't think it's got anything to do with on the field. It's it's the way in, in which the environment that these players are playing in that, that, that causes the concern. So, look, Pakistan, in terms of their build-up, their preparation's been, you know, completely um, completely cancelled. They had all these all these matches to warm up for the T20 World Cup with New Zealand, with England. They're now they're now cancelled. So they'll they'll won't have any, I don't think, um, preparation for the World Cup at all. So it's really, really unfortunate for Pakistan. Um, and hopefully 
we can get some um, some administrators and some executives talking with cool heads and, and and nutting this situation out because I'm sure as England and India have been able to reach a compromise around the cancelled uh, last test at Old Trafford a couple of weeks ago and that feels like almost a lifetime ago when that happened that uh, New Zealand and, and Pakistan boards can sit down and talk sense and come up with a compromise and the same with the England and Pakistan boards too because I'm sure the players would love to tour Pakistan and play cricket in Pakistan internationally it's just a matter of how can we make it safe to do so yeah well I guess we don't really want to delve into that too much on a uh, a quick 10 minute insert into the podcast just to get the the breaking news but I'm, I'm sure this is one that will run and run and I think we mentioned on our podcast recording last night the ICC really have got a massive role to play now I think um and this is, you know, it's been missing, hasn't it? That sort of world governance and um, setting some of these precedents. So we are going to see undoubtedly key players pull out of tours um, for mental health and uh, workload reasons over the course of the next year or so. COVID is not going away from that perspective. You know, the ashes looks like it's going to be seriously affected as well. Um, so I think the ICC have got to kind of step in and actually say, hey, this is what we're going to deem to be cancellation, postponement, how we're going to, schedule these things into future tours and mm. i think ultimately they're going to have to look at that future tours program and, and look at stripping out some of the cricket and particularly if we want to maintain um franchise cricket bubbles and the amount of world events that we're going to have over the course of um any given cycle um because it something isn't tenable um, in terms of asking i guess the players to operate in this um ambiguity you only look at um, the rest of society now having to cope with lockdowns and working from home and schooling your kids from home and all these kind of factors. And, mm. um, uh, you know, how can you play really, really top level international sport when you're worried about your health, your safety, your well-being, and, and your family as well? So I, I, look, I, I really feel for the, the players. I feel for the boards that are obviously losing revenue from this. Um, but this is the time for the ICC to, uh, to step in and mediate this and work with all the boards, all the broadcasters, the players' unions, and, and really come to put together a bit of a framework as to how they're going to deal with this as this undoubtedly continues. Yeah, absolutely. And not to, not to harp on about it, but we may be seeing here the catalyst for change in terms of scheduling because now, as we talked about you know, 12 months ago, teams are starting to vote not only with their their rescheduling of tours but but listening to players and making sure that their voices are heard in terms of the, the cricket that's being scheduled so i would expect that there will be more rescheduling of cricket going forward and i i expect the icc to sit up and take notice and actually think about their future tours program think about that international cricket calendar that they put forth uh, about six months ago that had so many international tournaments in it that may actually need a rethink to to just just simmer down a little bit the amount of international cricket that we've been playing. Um, we've got some good news, though, in terms of England and New Zealand. Women's team uh, are going to continue their tour, it looks like, at this stage. Uh, the third ODI was in question, again, with a security scare. But this time, we think we've got some some good news, Adam. Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, with regard to this... Um, I think the question that's going to come for me, look, it's great news that the series is going to continue, but I think that the Pakistan Cricket Board will be asking the question, why was this threat deemed not credible? And the one um, in Pakistan was deemed to be a credible threat, particularly if the information still isn't shared. But look, I guess, you know, we don't know all the rules around sort of the sharing of this kind of intelligence and 
and information. For me, I, I just I can't believe that either the New Zealand cricket boards or the English cricket boards would be um, hiding or fabricating or doing anything untoward with the information that have been given other than acting um, on it with good faith. Um, and ultimately, you know, you're not going to pay security consultants for their advice and then ignore it. That, you know, that would, you know, that wouldn't be particularly good business sense, um, particularly if the ramifications of that are um, an incident that, you know, that causes wider, you know, wider and more serious um, issues. So, look, I, I think great news that that, you know, that series continues. I hope the story is that the series is continuing and that we're getting to see some cricket mm. um, rather than the whys and wherefores of why this has continued and and why the tour in Pakistan has been cancelled. But, um, yeah, let's just hope it goes without a hitch um, at Grace Road and for the rest of the series as well with games, I think, uh, Friday and Sunday. Yeah, let's hope that cricket can continue and this and this does prove to be an, a, um, a non-credible threat. And, and, of course, there will be questions asked by the Pakistan board as to why a decision was made in favour of cricket in one circumstance and not in another. I think that... that the fact that there's not going to be no further comment, I think, from the ECB on the matter is is going to leave some things a little bit up in the air. But ultimately, the security assessment was one was credible, one was not. Um, and and people are going to read into that um, with their own view, from their own points of view and, and from their own internal biases. And, and we've probably got some of, it, of our own. But the, the outcome is that cricket will continue, and that's a good thing. Um, hopefully cricket can continue in Pakistan in the near future, and that will also be a good thing. So um, just to wrap up on this, it is good news for cricket generally. Um, people are going to read into it, but um, hopefully we can see past the individual incidents and look at an avenue for cricket to move forward. Awesome. Well, Baldy, let's get the listeners back to the podcast we recorded um, on Monday night. Just a quick reminder, this a very, very quick insert at the top of the Top Order podcast this week in cricket for the week commencing the 20th of September. Um, but after the swish, we'll get you back to normal programming. Thanks for listening. Well, look, let's start, guys. Sad news coming out of Pakistan, obviously, who were hoping to see another road to return for international cricket um, in Pakistan, after a long period of exile, New Zealand obviously over there preparing for white ball tours. But leading into the um, first game of that tour, that the guys had been there for several days uh, training at the ground. But then, yeah, I guess the Twitter rumor mill started at, yeah, I, I don't know, about eight o'clock New Zealand time, probably in the evening, Lippy. Um, and that picked up a little bit of. Um, yeah, a little bit of sort of pace. We were hearing about potential COVID breaches. And then there were sort of, you know, rumours of um, other nefarious things going on in Pakistan. But ultimately, it's led to the Black Caps now having landed in Dubai, I think, today um, on a charter flight out of Pakistan uh, and calling the, the whole series off with just a couple of hours before the scheduled start of that first um, ODI. So look, first and foremost, um, you've got to feel for Pakistan cricket and, and also for the Black Caps, who've probably gone through a little bit of turmoil and, and stress in that period. But how are we on picking this, you know, two or three days in the aftermath? And Lippy, I'll come to you first. Oh, look, I mean, you hit the nail on the head before for me when you, you were talking and you just mentioned the word sadness. And, and that's my overall feeling about this whole thing. You know, I feel gutted that it's been 18 years since we've toured Pakistan. There's a lot of new players on that squad. And it's ended like that, you know, and I, I know that I'm speaking from a New Zealand perspective. So, you know, I just can't really understand and sort of I can only imagine how upset the Pakistan 
fans must be. I remember when we spoke to Wazim on the show, Wazim Khan, and, and he spoke just so passionately about wanting to bring cricket back to the country. And, you know, I re- I sort of dawned on me today that there'll be guys in Pakistan that, that play for their country and p- potentially go their whole international career or have gone their whole international career never really playing any games in front of home fans. And, and look, I completely understand that it's got to be massively upsetting the, the way that this has all played out. But I guess I also feel like what was lost, at least in that immediate aftermath of all of this, is that you can actually appreciate how upsetting it is for, on the Pakistan side and still feel like New Zealand has done the right thing, you know, because th- these aren't two competing sides. There's no winners in this situation. There's no, like, nobody wanted this to play out like it was. There's New Zealand guys over there wanting to make their ODI debuts. I, I think of someone like Glenn Pocknell, who's over there getting a chance to, to coach his country, uh, and that's just been taken away from him. You've got guys like Ish Sodi, Martin Guptill, Daryl Mitchell. They've arrived like days earlier to rejoin the squad, get some prep for the T20 World Cup. I mean, they're not. There's no sort of calculated plan to bring down Pakistan cricket. You know, the the Black Caps received a government warning about. You know, they keep using these words: targeted, credible threat, and they've acted in a cautious manner to keep the players and support staff staff safe. And and I just think, you know, you you actually just there doesn't have to be a, a winner and a loser out of this situation. Everyone's lost out of this situation. And, and I feel like the overwhelming, when you go on social media and you just see so much negativity, I just had to step away from it. I actually usually, like you mentioned, Binksy, as you go on before the games to kind of get a sense of how everyone's feeling about the games. And just it just became way too negative and, and overwhelming. And I just had to step away. And I, I've barely been on since... Yeah, Lippy, couldn't agree with you more there. I, I guess the difficult thing is here, it, it is obviously a very emotional situation. And I think what you've probably got to do to a certain extent is the players won't have had a massive amount of say in this. Um, they'll have got the advice. They'll pay for that advice from um, what transpires. And look, I guess if we you kind of, we followed all of this um, in a little bit d- more detail prior to uh, the events we'd know that there was a you know private firm of security consultants headed up actually by a guy who used to be I don't know his exact title but the ECB's head of security an Australian guy called Reg Dickerson um, who has got that you know got that sort of um, information and also providing information to the England team as well for for their upcoming tour um, I look I guess we can't really go into the politics of it you, you know um, in the press you're seeing reports today that the English or British government don't have the same threat alert levels um, as the New Zealand Foreign Office. So, um, does that impact whether or not a, a different, um, yeah, a different country sort of tours? You mentioned Wasim in your little um, um, sort of prologue there, Lippy, and I think one of the key things is just the passion that came out and and probably the uncertainty around the protocols. For me, the question is where did the ICC get involved in this? You know. Um, they can't necessarily hold the purse strings for all the kind of security arrangements for what is essentially a bilateral series. But ultimately, they need to set some protocols, I think, as to how this, you know, how this should happen, what needs to be, you know, given um, as advice to the teams and, and when is it appropriate to call things off, I guess, to a certain extent. Because you've got to this, you know, you've got to the stage where you've got Imran Khan, um, not in his cricketing capacity, in his capacity of, uh, Prime Minister of Pakistan getting on the phone to Jacinda Ardern 
Um, and again, if you're very depressed, this is a ministerial level. This is a prime ministerial level decision because um, it was her that's, you know, that's advised to get um, the team home safely. So um, as you said, just really, really feel for the, for the players and for the game. Um, but I, yeah, again, ultimately, we bash the ICC a little bit, but you know, wh wh where is their role in this in terms of governing um, that kind of decision, which is going to happen more and more, unfortunately, um, I, I think as we kind of get um, into this COVID situation um, and probably a bit of unrest in that part of the world. Um, yeah, again, not going into the politics, but with uh, what's going on in Afghanistan, it's going to be very difficult to play uh, cricket in neighbouring and close by countries, you would have thought. Um, as it was throughout large parts of the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, I'm happy you mentioned governance there, actually, because we, we talked about it last week when we talked about Afghanistan. Should the New Zealand team even have been in, in Pakistan at this time? Uh, the argument that people are using is that, you know, other people have toured there recently. That's completely out the window for me. In the last 30 days, the, the situation has completely changed. Um, the other side of this coin, and actually I understand the Pakistan sentiment or point of view on this, is that the decision was kind of just made by the New Zealand government, by New Zealand cricket. Well, I don't think New Zealand cricket actually had much choice, but there was no real discussion when it came to pulling out. It was just like, here's a text, we're off. Uh, thanks for uh, looking after us for a week and we'll, we'll, we'll see you later. So from that perspective, I think that there's probably some protocols that that might have been skipped or um, maybe not extended to the Pakistani uh, government or the or the cricket board. So I can understand that that sort of disappointment that they're feeling. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I don't think that New Zealand uh, probably should have been there. I think that there was some space to to review that and um, understand what the threat was like uh, from the last twenty days, twenty eight days worth of um, fallout in neighbouring countries. The other point that I wanted to mention was just when you were talking, Stu, about uh, Twitter and all the emotion on Twitter. Uh, I can understand that from from the from the uh, you know the fans, those keyboard warriors. Uh, where I find a, a, a bit of concern around that is when people like Ramiz Raja come out and, and start talking quite emotionally. Uh, when the players start talking quite emotion talking quite emotionally. Uh, and Rami's Raja in particular is becoming a bit of a concern for me and his style of leadership being quite strong. Uh, someone like Wazim Khan, we know he's been doing a really, really good job. Uh, you know, new centralised contracting, the PSL success uh, over the last couple of years, uh, Pakistan continuing to tour the world or being in a position to tour the world, uh, and, and international cricket back in Pakistan. Here we have in the last two weeks coaching staff being chucked out, team selections coming out of left field, and, and of course, the tweeting in, in the heat of the moment. So these are things that I just want to make sure, these are things that I'm just concerned of about that are going to destabilise the, the, the cricket board and how they have been operating over the last, you know, two years, three years uh, under Wazim Khan's leadership. Uh, and I think he did the right thing. He didn't come out straight away. He issued a statement today with the right lines in terms of he wasn't happy about this and that, but he did it in a controlled manner. So, and I think it came across really well. Yeah, to your point on governance, dead right. That, that you know that statement. It had plenty of passion in from Wasim Khan today, um, but none of that sort of accusatory tone or um, emotional tone and rhetoric. And yeah, look, couldn't agree more. Pakistan's got itself in a really good state, and. Um, you know, we've been talking about the quality of the cricket that they've been able to play over the past 
um, four or five years. And look, I wonder how how long someone like Wasim Khan lasts as CEO in that kind of really volatile, you know, environment where you know the the chairman's kind of throwing his his weight around and probably making it really difficult to do that job as CEO because he's got to build those bridges now with the New Zealand Cricket Board, uh, with the ICC, uh, with the security community. So yeah, it could be um, yeah, it could be pretty difficult. Uh, yeah, difficult times. Let's move on to happier things. So there is some cricket going on around the world. Lippy, I'll come to you. Um, White Ferns, a couple of games in um, to their um, ODI series against the England women. Yeah, what's caught your eye so far in, in the series there? Uh, well, it's almost a, a, re- a repeat of last week. And in, in terms of, uh, you know, I think last week we were talking about the, the final T20 game and New Zealand's sort of missed opportunity there. They got very close and, and just sort of, let it slip away in, in the final spots. And, and it's been a, a similar case here, particularly in the second ODI. New Zealand right on top. I was watching it, you know, hanging in there as, as long as I sort of could last night, uh, hanging in and watching their bowling effort. And, and they were doing a tremendous job. And then, um, you know, not long after I, I went to bed, uh, England put on a 50-run last wicket stand and, and got themselves up still to, to only about just under 200. Uh, and, Eng- and New Zealand kind of working their way along there and then just for ending up you know a bit of rain around Duckworth Lewis got involved and but still a, a very very winnable game and just fell short by 13 runs and I, I guess the thing is that last summer it felt like the, the New Zealand home summer it felt like the White Ferns were not getting themselves in those winning positions it, it's at least now bringing me hope and, and a bit of uh, a, a bit of positive news that that they're getting themselves in these positions to win uh, against a good English side and I, I just you know I, I continue to hope that this is going to there, there are a lot more positives to take away from this tour than what I saw when England and Australia came last summer. So I guess I'll come to you Baldy on this question so I believe that's well I think we've won two of our last 21 days uh, which is becoming a bit of a a real funk uh, for the women's uh, cricket team there. What do you think they need to do to to start getting back into that winning habit? I think having having all your players available is is a is a key, is an absolute must for New Zealand next February when we come to the ODI World Cup. If if New Zealand don't have all of their best players ava- available playing at the same time, I think that's going to be a bit of a struggle for New Zealand to compete with Australia, India, and England at on that big stage. Stuart, you talked about. New Zealand slowly building towards this World Cup by getting themselves into the context uh, contest, I should say, and getting themselves in situations where they're competing to win matches. That's that's fantastic for New Zealand in terms of their growth. At what point do we think that New Zealand needs to translate some of that potential and competitiveness against some of these big sides into results? Well, uh, I mean, it's it's got to happen soon. You you know you got you mentioned the the ODI World Cup. That's that's not far away now. In in March, I think we're we're looking at that start of March where it, it's uh, it's all booked in. And you know, I, I think there's a chance that it, it could be the last ODI World Cup for a few of our top players. And you know, I, I'm probably don't know enough about the depth of uh, the young players in New Zealand that can come up and, and fill those spots. Uh, we've obviously seen a, a few around the Auckland circuit as we've been able to fortunately watch a bit of uh, while we've been commentating. But, you know, it's uh, it's a bit it's it's got to happen soon, um, because if we go into this World Cup, this home World Cup, you know, I remember 
I mean, things are going to be very different potentially with, with COVID around now, but you think about the buzz that was here for the, the Men's World Cup and the way that the those crowds packed in to see the, the games, that's what we want in this Women's World Cup. And if New Zealand gets bundled out in the very early on in the tournament and we, maybe we don't even make the semifinals, it's going to make the the kind of the, the climax of that tournament uh, probably fall pretty flat. Three ODIs to go in their tour, tw- Wednesday 22nd of September, uh, Friday the 24th and then Sunday. So, you know, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday games to finish out this tour of England for New Zealand. For you guys, for you, Stuart, first, and then for Raj, what's the pass mark for New Zealand here in terms of their results? And I I am starting to get a bit results-focused because, for me, New Zealand has shown enough potential now um, that with their top players playing, you know, regular cricket for them, you throw Amelia Kerr into that mix for New Zealand as well and a couple of others that have missed the tour, you throw them in and New Zealand is starting to be in a position now when they should be talking about results, in my view, not just potential. They've shown that in, in, in my mind. What do you think the pass mark here for New Zealand is in terms of these last three matches, in terms of wins? Well, I think if you know if you're results focused, then uh, then you're wanting all three, and you're and you're going to be uh, hoping for a series win. But I mean, I'd say I don't know. I mean, you're you're probably a better person to to judge in terms of the results. I want to see. I still do want. I'm I'm not that worried about the results at this stage. I still do want to see the performances. But, you know, you come away from this tour and say they only win one of these ODIs, win one T20, and, and it's sort of a 6-2-7-1 kind of scoreline, and it does, on paper, look look very disappointing. So, yeah, they'd want to be winning a couple to at least kind of show some credibility, I suppose, on the scorecard, even though some of the performances have been quite credible. Rajan, for you, what do you think you're, you would be looking for if you were in charge of this New Zealand women's team over these last three matches in their tour? Yeah, it's one of those things where it's hard to tell. say that we want to see them compete because they are competing. They're, they're just falling short. Uh, I think if, if you are in charge of this team or part of this team, you want to start building some momentum, that big mo that we've been talking about um, during the IPL. We want to see them start to win some games. So with these last three games, I'd like to see them win two of them. Uh, but, you know, that may not happen, but I do want to see some results in terms of getting the W. Uh, that you just got to get back on that horse. It's the easiest way to get out of that funk. Awesome. Well, as you say, next game Wednesday, Baldy, followed in rapid succession by Friday and Sunday. So by the time we record on that uh, next podcast, we'll uh, we'll know whether that pass mark has been achieved. Let's move on to uh, a notable intention to retire, Virat Kohli saying he's going to step down as T20 uh, skipper after the World Cup. Um, and also, I think I saw um, he's going to step down from captaining the RCB as well. I know when that news broke on the slack, I think it was uh, Raj who just said, well, that's a pretty straight sh- swap and, and Rohit Sharma just comes in um, and proves his white ball captaincy credentials across um, those two formats. But a- anything else we want to add to King Coley um, stepping down? Oh, that was actually Baldy who posted that, but I can see how you got us mixed up. Very similar. Um, look, I, I think that there's been whispers around for a long time around uh, Virat Kohli's leadership. 
Uh, and look, Stu, I think, has mentioned, uh, mentioned it a number of times that he's just been in a massive batting slump for, for a while now. He hasn't, he hasn't scored um, big runs, but he doesn't have to be the captain to make an impact. I feel like he need, he probably has a little bit of dissonance there, same as David Warner did with the Ashes in England a couple of years back. Uh, we're try, trying to find that line. I don't want Virat Kohli to worry about that line. I just want him to worry about being the best batsman that he is or that he can be and, and score some runs. I, I guess he's looking for a change and this is how he's going to affect it. Yeah, look, I you know you, you mentioned that, Raj. I, I have uh, sort of been highlighting the fact that, that Kohli hasn't got runs, but it, largely it's because I want to see him score runs. I, you know, I, I think I also said that, you know, I, I actually kind of love watching him play. He plays with such passion and, and such kind of drive to win, and, and I can really relate to that. And, you know, I'm sure it probably was a pretty tough thing to do to say, uh, you know, look, I, I will step down from the captaincy, but you hope that it's all for the right reasons and, and to to get the right performances. And, and you know, I think you just mentioned it there, Binksy, that, Geez, they've got a good replacement in, in Rohit Sharma because he's got some record as a captain, uh, certainly in, for Mumbai, and, and every time he's sort of stepped in, and he seems to have such a good rapport with all the players. So yeah, it's a, it's it's pretty exciting for for India that they can just make such an easy change. And do we see Virat continuing in white ball cricket as a player? Do you think, or does he disappear out of that side without the C next to his name? No, I think he continues, absolutely. I, I think he will put all of it, not all of his eggs in, in the Test cricket basket, but I think that's certainly his leadership aspiration format of choice. He will continue to play white ball cricket for, for India for, for some time yet. I think he's got a few records probably in his sights. I'm, I'm not sure if he's a stats guy or not, but I would imagine that there's a few records that that are well within his grasp if he, if he plays another three or four years of white ball cricket for India. I can't see him hanging up the hanging up the gloves anytime soon, particularly in those short formats. Well, let's move on from one relative veteran to the ultimate veteran. It was T20 Blast Finals Day in the UK over this weekend. So Edgebaston, the home of the T20 Blast Finals, the holly stand and the fancy dress in fine voice for a pretty much all Southern um, affair. So, yeah, Somerset, uh, Sussex, uh, Kent and Hampshire uh, being the sides involved. Darren Stevens um, impressing again at the ripe old age, I think, of 45 and change now. He was actually left out for the T20 Blast quarterfinal and was told apparently by Sam Billings, who didn't have a stellar um, finals day with the bat, but affected a pretty handy stumping, letting him know he was going to be left out of the quarter-final lineup just five minutes before the toss. Um, and actually came out in the press before finals day saying, get me in the side and I will, um, I'll will i win you the tournament. Um, certainly performed in the semi-final with 40-odd, a um, couple of important wickets as well. And the other thing I just wanted to point out, and this is more of an esoteric cricketing question rather than necessarily about T20 blast, but we saw another one of these amazing catches on the boundary. Man of the match in the final, Jordan Cox, um, who yeah deposited quite a few balls into that holly stand, taking an absolute um, or taking part in a spectacular catch on the boundary where he batted the ball back in um, to Milnes um, to complete a, a fantastic catch. When is the guy that goes you know into the advertising hoardings head first, lands you know head upturned in a pint of warm beer 
and has affected a ma- an amazing catch. Going to get on the score sheet for some of this instead of the fellow who just stands there and takes a very simple um, pass back. What what are our thoughts on finals day and uh, a potential rule change as well, guys? Look, uh, I think uh, if anyone listening to this podcast now and hasn't seen that catch, that that's the first thing they should do. We don't, we know, we obviously want you to to listen straight through, but we'll forgive you in this instance if you just press pause for a second and, and Google that Jordan Cox assist, I guess, uh, which which maybe that's that's the route we have to go down. That uh, catch assists, and will be all over that. Just as a, a stats man, uh, you can jump in in a second there, but. Um, once we once Baldy's had a crack, I just want to know, Banksy, when Darren Stevens is going to play for England. I just, it's honestly, the guy has put in, he's put up the numbers. <laughs> you have, he's, he's got to get a crack. Oh, I'm all for, I'm all for both assists being part of cricket statistic law. Uh, I'm all for more advanced statistics in cricket. So catch assists uh, would be a big one. Doesn't happen often. Mark Taylor springs to mind off his boot, uh, and there's a few in the outfield of late. Uh, but yeah, look, Darren Stevens, he's just got to go to Australia, and I think he'll destroy Australia. Nibbling it around at about sort of sixty mile an hour would be uh, a devastating option uh, in the in the Ashes tour. So get him on the plane, have him have him bat somewhere in the top seven, uh, maybe six or seven, and then bowling uh, at the Australians at about sixty miles an hour. No, I jest, but his career has been fantastic, and he he people will look back on Darren Stevens' career and and ask that question legitimately: Why didn't he ever play for England? Uh, because unfortunately. You know, test cricket is just 10% faster than, than county cricket, unfortunately. And a guy that succeeds at county level doesn't necessarily have the right kind of attributes that, that step up. But a, a fantastic career for Darren Stevens, and, and probably just that he goes out uh, on, a win, on a winning note if he is going to retire at the end of this, this season. And maybe he continues into next season in five or six years' times. And when we're talking about this in episode 300 of the Top Order podcast, Darren Stevens winning uh, the Vitality Blaster age 50. Yeah, well, look, um, he's certainly got some vitality. And I, I think that the, he's come out pretty much after because I'm sure, you know, everyone was going to ask that as the, the first question in the press conference. You know, is that it for you? Are you going to um, bow out? And, and he's pretty much said, nah, um, I've got another year's contract. I love the game. I'm going to carry on playing. Um, and yeah, look, that's fantastic because... I bet he gets up in the morning and it's, you know, it's a struggle to get out of bed and lace up the boots at times. Um, But yeah, to keep going round and round on what is a hell of a treadmill county cricket. Um, You know, the amount of cricket the guys play, the the different, you know, the switches between the different formats, lots and lots of four day cricket and lots and lots of overs um, in the legs. But I think I'm right in saying he's got three hundreds this year in the county championship. Um, A number of wickets, um, useful wickets with his, um, yeah, he's, he's slightly above 60 mile an hour. He's, you know, 62, 63. So it'd certainly cause uh, you and I a few problems, Baldy, on a uh, on, on a green one. But yeah, look, testament to him and, and a fantastic, yeah, a fantastic end to the season. But looks like he's going to go round again um, next year. And who knows if uh, a few of these guys, uh, Wokes and Curran and Stokes, um, pull out of the Ashes tours because they don't want to be in the bubbles, then there's worse all-rounders to... Um, sit in a business class seat and uh, go and get their asses handed to him in Australia this winter. That that would be a, a brilliant way to to end the podcast. Uh, this short little uh, week week in cricket, but uh, I did just want to uh, kind of uh, a word of warning, I suppose, to New Zealand fans uh, and, and cricket fans here in New Zealand, and in, in that uh, basically just keep an eye on on the schedule and uh, for the international stuff because. 
it's it's just looking uh, a bit dicey here in New Zealand. We've, we originally thought that we'd have Bangladesh in kind of December, January, South Africa, but then to follow and, and the Netherlands somewhere in there. We had India ODIs. We had an Aussie white ball tour. It's it's all very, very much up in the air at the moment. India has in the three ODIs against India is pretty much it looks like they won't happen and, and there's almost definite reporting on that. Uh, and then we've got the Bangladesh, South Africa and the Netherlands seem to be booked in uh, because you can go on and see the sports team's MIQ reports and, and those tours are being booked in. But And it sort of looks like Bangladesh will be here in January so we won't have a Boxing Day test. Uh, I think the New Zealand squad that goes to India, they come back around mid-December. And so by the time they get out of MIQ, go home, see their family, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's going to be into January before we see any international cricket in New Zealand this summer. South Africa to follow in February, March perhaps, and, and then the Netherlands after that for, for some ODIs for the, the ODI Super League. But yeah, very, very much up in the air. And, and that uh, that Aussie white ball tour in particular, I think, is in, in serious danger if there's no bubble because I don't think that they've planned, because there's so much uncertainty, I don't think they've then planned the... MIQ slots back for the New Zealanders that would go over there so yeah I feel like that one might not happen and you know as we sit here Auckland is potentially go, or is, is now definitely going down to, to level three in, in a day or two's time uh, you know that that still means no domestic cricket here in New Zealand until at, at least Auckland can move down or at least there's no domestic cricket for Auckland so a lot of disruption and I think just yeah, certainly hold fire if you were planning to, to go anywhere for a Boxing Day test or anything like that. Well, thanks for that, Lippy. We'll, we'll end on that rather uh, sombre note, a cricketing podcast with no cricket to talk about over um, our summer period. But I'm sure we'll find an excuse um, whether we're in lockdown um, or not. I think if we are in lockdown, um, I'll definitely have uh, run out of, uh, of patience with my children and alcohol in my cupboard as well. Um, if we're still there at Christmas um, this time. But that probably just wraps up this week in cricket. It is a short one from us, but you will see a Hall of Fame episode hitting your feed um, very, very shortly. We'll be back with This Week in Cricket next week, where we will wrap up the White Ferns tour to the UK. Um, And no doubt, a little bit of IPL um, and a little bit of aftermath from this Pakistan uh, Pakistan, New Zealand um, cancellation. Um, as well as uh, probably finding out the result of that test match at Old Trafford as well. I'm sure the ICC will delight us with their decision in uh, in quick fashion. Um, but if not, we'll still be back to talk all things cricket uh, next week. It's good night and God bless from us here in Auckland. We'll see you soon. <laughs>